Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode. And of course, beware of spoilers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Attack of the Final Girls. I'm Teresa. And I'm Juliet. And we're here for episode 31. And we're watching the first watch for both of us, I think, right? Yeah. You haven't yeah. seen it? No, okay. I haven't seen it. No. Um, in anticipation of the new Brandon Cronenberg film, we decided to go back to, I'm pretty sure, and I will look this up to make sure because most of the time I talk out of one side of my mouth. Possessor, I think it's Brandon Cronenberg's first feature it's- directorial I think it's actually his second okay. because he did antiviral, but it's like kind of his first in a really long time. Oh, okay. So this is technically his second, oh, okay. but well, I think people kind of forget that he did a film before this yeah. because I think I had originally heard it framed as his directorial debut. I see. Okay. Well, it's the first Brandon Cronenberg movie I've seen. I did not see antiviral. I didn't either. <laughs> so earlier last year, we saw Crimes of the Future, yes. which was a David Cronenberg movie. Once again, and a movie that he directed, which was the first in a long while. Correct. For yeah. David Cronenberg. Yeah. And this one came out. And I think it kind of got slept on, probably like pandemic times. It was really bad timing. Yeah. So it had a lot of buzz on the festival circuit in like 2018, 19, mm-hmm. like right after it was done filming with the intention of what I'm assuming was like a big 2020 art house release. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, we all know what happened in 2020. They did go ahead and release it in October of 2020, but that was still in such early days for movies coming back. I know that our two art house theaters in the area just didn't get it because they were so backlogged on stuff. And one of them only has one screen and one of them only has two screens. Mm -hmm. And so they were just really trying to catch up and do things that they knew would be sure bets for their core audiences. Right. Because obviously they were both hurting from the pandemic uh, closures. And then none of our larger theaters got it either. And I think that was a product of... Even the larger theaters at that time, the multiplexes, were not doing a lot of what I would call risky choices. Mm -hmm. Like even now, both of our big like chain multiplexes will get some weird stuff and some indie stuff and like these shutter one-offs and things like that that are fairly limited audience. They weren't doing that in 2020. It was like big budget stuff, like Marvel stuff, big blockbuster stuff. And then they were still doing a lot of those like classic films to try to coax people back to feeling secure and safe in a movie theater setting. And that was such early days. I think they weren't going to try anything like this, unfortunately. Yeah, this actually hit the Sundance circuit in January of 2020. So typically, you would have like a Sundance release, and then you'd have like a a late summer, early fall, like main wide release, you'd have like limited, and then you'd have your wide release. So this one obviously missed. And it's kind of had a home on Hulu for a long time. It's been there for a while. And Hulu, honestly, I know this is going to sound weird, and I know, like, however you feel about streaming, Hulu has had a space for, like, a lot of smaller, like, more independent horror. Absolutely. And it's been, like, the wide release for a lot of it. So that's how we were able to watch this one. Uh, You can rent it on Amazon, too, but 
That's also how I was able to watch Raw and Titan, which hopefully one day we'll be able to do those as well. (laughs) Because this movie has a lot of that same feel to it. Yeah. So Raw came out in 2016, I think was kind of a return to like a quieter, smaller, more gory indie film. And I think this kind of falls into that. And Titan like pushed it to a sci-fi limit that was like mind-blowing, which it came out in 2021 or 2020, I think. But Possessor was kind of like it's... Those two movies are French. This was, I feel like, a sister movie in feel and sort of like the aesthetics of this movie. It was very similar to that, only more American slash British. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, this movie threw a lot of curveballs that I wasn't expecting. And by the end of the movie, I was just like holding my head... (laughs) (laughs) Like, I need to think about this for a minute before I talk about it. And also, I do want to mention, when we were looking at this movie, the, like, characterization of it, I was expecting for it to say horror. And it didn't say horror. It said frightening. Yeah, on on Amazon, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, the characterization was, like, sci-fi thriller frightening, but not horror. And which was, like, I panicked a little bit. I was like, oh, crap. Is this actually a horror movie? So I looked on IMDb, and on IMDb it says horror mystery sci-fi thriller. So, yeah. I'm going to say that by the end, (laughs) it's definitely, definitely horror. I mean, you certainly get a sense of it in the beginning, but yeah, by the end you're like, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely horror. Yeah, and I think that that is a trend that we're seeing a lot more of is movies like this one where it doesn't have to be scary. You don't have to have, like, um, a feeling of dread or a sense of dread or, like, your typical, I would say, like, slasher trappings in a movie yeah. for it to be a horror film. Yeah, I mean, horror is so much more than running from Michael Myers, yeah. you know? And I would say, too, like, gore aside in this film, because this film has a lot of blood and a lot of gore, the psychological implications of this film are horrifying. Totally. So, like, period. Yeah. You know, but that is a trend. It was definitely a trend pre-Jordan Peele. And Mm. although we've seen with the success of Get Out, very specifically, but also Us, more people realizing that horror can be valuable you know it still gets snubbed at the oscars every year and it's still looked down upon as you know something lesser than to the degree that any film that excels in horror people will start to call it things other than horror right you know i heard that a little bit with midsummer i remember very specifically a mutual friend of ours calling a guillermo del toro film a gothic romance thriller like using 57 words to avoid saying horror yeah you know yeah it's like no it it was definitely a horror film yeah (laughs) like even if you don't typically like horror you can see a horror movie and like it and not have to like jump through a bunch of hoops backwards in order to justify liking it like horror can be there can be lots of boobs and there can be michael myers and you can be running and there can be you know, campers having sex in the woods and all that stuff. That is horror and that is valuable and it's tons of fun and we love that. But it can also be a movie like this, which challenges your notions of AI and near future technology and whether or not we have an expectation of privacy in the future and uh, using our bodies and minds to 
both be better consumers and also be tools in a giant machine. Yeah. Uh, basically full of cogs. It can be challenging and good and, and cinematic and, and beautiful and sad and also scary at the same time. Absolutely. So yeah. if you have friends that maybe don't like horror or as they say they don't like horror, but they do like sci-fi. Oh, yeah, definitely. This is a really good near future. Um, it doesn't push it as far as Crimes of the Future, I would say. Yeah. Like David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future pushes it to an obscene level. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> this movie feels like it could happen five years from now, maybe. It's funny because in certain regards, it feels like it could be happening now and we're yeah, just sorry. unaware of it. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. That's kind of the beauty of the movie is that yeah. it feels very contemporary. I'll go over the cast really quick. It's got Andrea Riseborough. She's our main character, Tasia Voss. We have Christopher Abbott, who, if you saw It Comes at Night, he was in that. He plays Colin Tate. Jennifer Jason Lee is in this, which I mentioned to Juliet at the beginning of our watching this. I'm really glad to see her doing more because I feel like there was this huge gap of time where she really wasn't doing much. Yeah. And she has had this kind of, like, underground, super niche, like, sci-fi horror success. And I really want to see her do more of that. And also, Ross of Sutherland played Michael Voss, uh, Tasia Voss's child's father. That's basically the main cast of characters. But essentially what we're looking at is Andrea Riseborough's Tasia Voss. She is a agent that implants herself into other people's bodies to commit murder to commit assassinations. And chaos ensues. And chaos ensues. It's a very interesting story, and I won't say that it's, like, totally new. I think that that is a pretty common trope in, like, mystery thrillers, noir movies, of, like, somebody insinuating themselves into a group. Yeah. And then committing murder or committing in, you know, assassination or something like that. But we get this cool, fresh sci-fi spin on it where their minds are implanted into other people's bodies to do these things. It's a new spin on it. Definitely. It doesn't feel cool and glossy and glamorous like you would expect a movie. Um, it's more gritty and realistic and kind of like we're seeing how somebody's brain can kind of fall apart their psyche can fall apart through the stress of being implanted in somebody's head and fighting constantly against that person's will essentially it's kind of mind-boggling i'm still like chewing on parts of this movie yeah i mean it gets down to like an essential question which is to me kind of the part of the horrifying part of it is like what is the self Mm -hmm. You know, like, where is the self contained or how is the self contained? And can the self truly be repressed or hidden? Like our, our bodies and our whatever it is that makes us us, whether you want to call that a soul or a spirit or whatever, where does that reside? And how does that function with or without the body? And that's kind of what we're dealing with in this movie. And it's, uh, it's pretty great. It raises a lot of questions, I think. The first question I had when I was watching this is, why would anybody ever want to do this job? <laughs> I mean, you assume that they're making a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. And also, certain people have a talent for this. Yeah. I appreciated when they were discussing the second job that Tasia is doing. They basically were talking cash. Her boss, Jennifer Jason Lee, says, there's a lot of money involved, and there's also a lot of stock involved. Yeah. And I was like, 
that is crazy. Basically, this company is trying to sow the seeds of chaos through a person, but ostensibly so that this person can become the number one person at this company. He is creating this hit and then also offering stock options in this company as a way for them to do it. And I'm like, yeah, this this seems plausible. This, totally. It oh, really yeah. does. It yeah. really does seem like this could potentially happen. Yeah. The first scene of the movie is essentially us watching Voss go through the process of killing this person and then killing the body used to commit this murder. And when she comes out of it, she looks awful. Yeah. She's like puking. Her face looks terrible. She has no color in her face. She looks like she's been completely through the ringer. And I'm just like, this looks awful. Yeah, it doesn't look fun. No money, at all. no money in the world could make me like, yes, I will invade somebody's body and and mind and use them to kill someone. Yeah. Not if it makes you look like that afterwards. What I love about this film and I love sci-fi films that do this is they give us just enough information about how the process works, but we never come to understand how this technology was developed, who developed it, how these people got into the work they do, how Tasia very specifically got into this work or how her talent for doing this work was identified because you can tell through some of the reconnaissance she's doing, she does have a talent for this, Mm -hmm. for sort of stepping into other people's lives, which is probably some kind of borderline something, something. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) But we don't get any of that information. And some people might find that unsatisfying. I kind of love it because it adds to the mystique of the story to me and the uneasiness of the story mm-hmm. where I'm just like, how does this happen? Right. <laughs> and all of the tech that they use looks very glossy and like very established. And for somebody who only has a passing knowledge of how hospitals work, I mean, bless doctors and nurses and all of this, but like yeah. medical professionals, it looks real. Absolutely. But we don't need to know exactly how all of that works. We're just kind of like thrown in at basically hour zero of her for, of that job. And then we just have to catch up. Like, yeah. all right, this is established. This is a thing that happens. It's not perfect because we see Voss like struggling as we go through the movie, struggling with maintaining control, struggling with what she's supposed to do is kill the body. She's yeah. supposed to pull herself out and kill the body. She's not able to do that with her last kill, which is a problem. Yeah. There's a death by cop situation, but that's not good. That's not a optimal ending to what they want. They want it to be public. They want there to be no... It worked in that instance because it's like suicide by cop is... That's a thing. But that's what they want is like the finality, brain death of whomever it is that they were their target was um it's cleaner that way yeah and it also gives a very plausible explanation totally you know uh, murder suicide yeah but Voss is having she's struggling she essentially is lying to Gerder about what is happening inside of her head and how she's feeling post job I guess post assignment she asks for time off ostensibly to clear her head and also to kind of reset I think. So she goes to spend time with her estranged husband and her son. But at the same time, you can tell like she's getting antsy. She knows that there's a job coming up. It's a very important job. She's going to be taking over Gerder's job eventually, which is basically being a handler for others. You can tell that she thinks she's losing her edge. So she jumps at the chance to do something else. 
even though she probably should be taking some time off. I mean, I'm saying this as somebody who's horrified by the idea of somebody else implanting themselves in my body and using me as a, you know, a weapon. Yeah. So I'm saying this as somebody who's, like, totally detaching myself from the reality of that situation. (laughs) But also, like, she should probably take some time off. Yeah, that seems like um, it probably has some lasting after effects and it's the type of thing that you need to decompress from and... I get the idea, too, that if this were, like, let's say this is a Blade Runner situation, Mm -hmm. that if this existed in Blade Runner times, they would be using someone who does not have any, like, familial attachments, is not married, doesn't have kids, you know, they live in basically a sterile box. Um, And they probably wouldn't necessarily have a choice in the matter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this would be a situation where they are, like, born and raised to do this one thing and not, like, make good memories with a family and then have to jump inside somebody's body and be like, all right, poo, 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 I'm going to kill everybody. Yeah, yeah. And then be expected to just, like, all right, I'm going to go home and read a story to my son. Yeah. It does not seem like those things are cohesive. No. Like, that's going to work. And it doesn't. It it straight up doesn't work. (laughs) Another thing I thought was, like, really unsettling about this movie is there's no steady shots. Yeah. Like, it's all handheld camera the entire time, which I really appreciated because it just makes you feel that teeny amount more unsettled and off. Yeah. It could have been very smooth, you know, very good pans, like, nice slow pans. Because this is a very visually engaging sci-fi movie. The colors are really vibrant and striking, especially when they're supposed to be, which I think is awesome. But at the same time, you just get that like little bit of humanity that's added in with that like tiny amount of camera movement. And it really makes you feel even more unsettled. And like you really are inhabiting somebody else's body. Yeah. Which you're supposed to for part of the movie. To that point, I feel like what this film does best in contrast to a lot of other modern horror films is that it does everything in moderation. Mm -hmm. Like it moves, the camera movements are done just enough. Mm -hmm. The kind of trippy, psychological, like really rapid fire cross-cutting sequences we get, as we pointed out while we were watching it, are just enough. Mm -hmm. The lighting effects, just enough. The beautifully framed still shots are held for just the right amount of time. Like everybody knew what they were doing visually on this movie and they didn't do, they didn't fall into the trap that other movies we've talked about have, which is like, we can do a thing. So we're going to do it for 45 minutes. Right. Like, oh, we're good at this. Let's just keep going forever. Yeah. Yeah. Or, oh, this is trippy. Or, oh, this is going to make the viewer feel a certain way. Let's sustain it for far too long. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is something I feel like is um, there's a there's a talent, especially in horror when it comes to gore and like to effects. So like in this particular instance, while some very violent and terrible things are happening, we're not getting like disgusting levels of gore. We're getting just enough to make you go. Yeah. (laughs) And like curl into yourself, make your butthole clench. And then that's it. Yeah. So, like, very beginning of the movie, there's a instance where Voss is within one of her targets, and she's having to do what's called calibrate, which we see later on in the movie is basically just sending radio signals into her brain to get her to do the right thing or to get the body to be in sync with her, 
more and she basically has to put a needle inside of her head into an implant, which is absolutely so disgusting. <laughs> it's super, super gross. But we kick the movie off with that. But we don't see that again for a little while. Yeah. And then we see it again when they're preparing Tate for Voss to kind of like, he has to have an implant so that Voss can be inside of him. And we see some grossness. But we don't see, like, the inside of his brain or, like, we don't see so much blood that we're like, oh, this is gross. You know, we just see that there is some blood, but this team of, like, women scientists are so efficient at doing this at this point that they're like, all right, cool. We've got, like, you know, it's going to take four hours for her to fully implant, but we're basically good to go. Yeah. Then in the scenes where, like, we are really supposed to feel messy and gross, we get that, but not so much where we're like, okay, I'm going to be sick. Right. It's not terrifier level. No, not at all. Thank God. (laughs) It's like, is there such thing as tasteful gore? I'm going to coin that term. Yeah. (laughs) It's tasteful gore. It's like just enough to make you feel, I understand what's happened. I understand that this is bloody and violent when this is supposed to be like a clean and sort of sterile process. Yeah. Even the kills, like they're not gore for gore's sake. Mm -hmm. Like some of the kills are pretty intense and violent, but they are that way to demonstrate what's happening to Voss. Yeah. And they make you feel uncomfortable as you're processing the totality of the film, not uncomfortable and like, yeah, it's gross, you yeah. know? We're not seeing, like, guts. We're seeing, like, yeah. l- a lot of blood. Yeah. And, like, the violence of the act less than the violence, like, on the body, yeah. if that makes sense. Like, yeah. More like, okay, this person is covered in blood and they're swinging a cleaver and killing this person versus like, oh, I see their guts because they're playing in somebody's guts. Yeah, exactly. And the kills the Voss commits are on purpose and they're violent, but it's like, it doesn't feel to me like it's an anger from her towards the person. It's more like an anger towards herself. Yeah. Like, not necessarily that she wants to be committing butchery, but more like she can't help herself. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's like an expression of how she's working through some of the feelings of, like, inadequacy or longing for another life or, like, maybe the life that she's kind of passed by. And she does mention to Gerder, like, I can't do that. Like, in the past, she said... I'm not safe for them. I can't do this. Yeah. But yet she continues to go back to them. And so she's kind of torn between this, like, domesticity that she wants and thinks that she should have. And, like, even pantomimes. I think it's it was pretty telling that in the movie, the two times when she's pantomiming, like, emotion is, one, when she's trying to go to her son and yeah. to her husband, her, her ex-husband, her estranged husband. She is pantomiming how she's supposed to act when she sees him. And then the other time she pantomimes is when she's trying to assume Tate's personality. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is so messed up. Yeah. (laughs) It's so screwed up to see that juxtaposition, like that parallel between I am pantomiming for my family and I'm also pantomiming in my job. Where is the line? Where's the separation between her? And who is she really then? If she's not her most authentic self with her family and she's not her most authentic self in her work, where is her most authentic self? Right. Does she have, does she, we all have a most authentic self, but is she in touch with whoever that person is? Right. Can she be in touch with them? Right. Or is she so 
far down deep into this persona of assuming other people's lives and assuming their emotions that she can no longer perform her own emotions or even feel them. Right. Like, is there a Voss inside or is she merely a tool at this point? Like, has she kind of, like, broken herself down into just, like, a constant id? Like, well, I'm just going to go do this job, and then I'm going to pretend. Yeah. Is she experiencing psychosis at this point? You know, like, are there some psychiatric, like, schizophrenic things that are happening inside of her where she's just jumping? Is she an amalgamation of just all of the people that she's been before? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) There's a lot to take in there. Yeah. Especially, and maybe I'm reading too far into this, but like being a femme presenting person, is it also calling out like how many things or how many different roles femme presenting people have to perform and not being able to find the self, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I could totally be reading too far into that, but. No, I can totally see that because, you know, she is attempting to be a mother to her child and she seems very kind of detached Mm -hmm. she's attempting to be a partner to her estranged husband and we see even in their sex scene she's very very detached you know they're like having sex and she's like thinking about essentially her work Mm -hmm. let's say um which the queen (laughs) she's thinking of the queen yeah lie back and think of england (laughs) yeah um and then you know when she's working she's not her Mm -hmm. she has to be laser focused on performing somebody else so i think you're definitely hitting on something there absolutely yeah like she wants to have it all she wants to be barbie you know but she she can't have the pizza parlor and (laughs) also the space career um (laughs) she has to she has to pick one but she she can't like it's almost that she doesn't have the capability of doing that anymore i would be so curious to know and we never find this out we do know that there are a couple of men slash masculine people who work for girder Mm -hmm. but in terms of the actual i'll just call them possessors Uh um, people who are able to do this possession assassination we only know of voss and Gerder has done it. Uh, it. Seems like she no longer does it, and mm-hmm. now is in that handler support role. I wonder if it's all women. I do wonder that. I do wonder if like femme presenting people specifically have a talent for that, and that's yeah. the only reason why they seek those people out. Because Eddie, the lifeline, the only other person we know like is involved in the field work at least. Yeah, he kind of performs like a creep. Yeah, uh, initially like. Because Voss doesn't know that Eddie is in. And so when she is Tate, Eddie comes up and he's like, oh, man, you know, I slept with so many women out on the East Coast. It was disgusting. I can't wash the sin away. And Tate's like, "Uh, uh-huh. Okay. Like, Voss, yeah. Voss via Tate is like, uh, okay. So I wonder maybe if mask-presenting people aren't as talented or in this case, in this future, Eddie is not as talented as that. So, yeah, it would be interesting to see, like, the other work that this yeah. uh, this company is doing. And it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you've watched this. Have you watched any of Succession? No. Okay. Uh-uh. Even though I, I love one of the lead actors in it from something else. Which one? Matthew McFadden. I don't know if I know who that is. 
I don't even know who the heck he plays. It's weird because he's a British actor and I think he does an American accent in this. So I can't even say, oh, he's the British one. <laughs> he was in Ripper Street, which is like one of my favorite shows. Okay. Oh, no, I'm not thinking of Succession. Hold on. Hold on. I'm not thinking of Succession. There's like several movies or several shows that came out at the same time that have similar names. Oh, yeah. And I, I get them all mixed up. Succession for me falls into the category of like rich white people behaving badly, which I oh, I have a very limited capacity for those shows anymore. Yes. I did watch the first episode of Succession now that I know what I'm talking about. And I was just like, yeah, I don't really want to see like rich people being assholes to one another. Yeah. I would rather see like society be assholes to rich people, yeah, which maybe agreed. that's what ends up happening. Yeah, I don't know. But what I was thinking of is Severance. Oh, okay. I still, I haven't seen that one either. Probably because the names are so similar. I was just like, oh yeah, yeah. That's also rich white people behaving badly, even if it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so Adam Scott is in that and I really love Adam Scott a lot. Yeah. But Severance is in that same like near future sci-fi like examination of psyche and sci-fi and like where we're going with AI. But it's on Apple TV and I don't have Apple TV. Oh, yeah. I had like a free, I had a free three month subscription when I bought my iPad and then I just kind of blew it and I like didn't watch it. I did watch the first couple episodes of that and I, I was like really into it, but it's a pay attention TV show. Uh huh. And the most times when I'm watching TV, it's like when I'm working. So I need something like Seinfeld where I don't have to pay attention. It's just a laugh track. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I do feel like these movies, this movie and that show are kind of like parallel. Like maybe Severance is like the prequel to where we're getting with this possessor thing because Severance is where like these workers have chosen to surgically divide their brains between their home life and their work life. So when they go to work, it's like they don't remember who they are outside of work. Oh, that's they are simply like worker X Y Z. Yeah, and when they go home, they don't know where they work. They have like only kind of like bland ideas of what they do, so that they can perform. Wow. So I'm kind. I got kind of like that same yeah you know, feeling. Yeah. Also, John Turturro is in Severance. Oh, okay. and he plays and Christopher Walken. See, this sounds like a thing I would like. <laughs> yeah. And now I feel like I, now that I'm just saying it, I'm like, oh, maybe I should get my Apple TV <laughs> subscription back. Because I, it's like rated super highly. It wins like crap tons of awards, which take, you know. Yeah. Take that with a grain of salt. Grain of salt. But drama, mystery, sci-fi, thriller. Yeah. Not horror. Not frightening. Uh, yes. Not <laughs> but, frightening. But sci-fi th- mystery thriller. I mean, I think genre. we it's we're both. frightening. <laughs> Yeah, frightening movies. Uh, the whole frightening thing is just like... It's get, annoying to me. You want to use like 50 million adjectives? Like we could say suspenseful. Yeah. You know, it's not real. Frightening is not a genre of film. It is an affect that film has upon you. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> like then there should be one that says fun. Yeah. Fun as a genre. Which is so arbitrary. I mean, frightening totally. is so arbitrary too. Yeah. Like... I mean, me watching scenes of, like, childbirth is frightening. Yeah, yeah. It can be exciting or, like, heartwarming for other people. And I'm just like, no. Yeah. And I guarantee most of the movies that would be classified as, air quotes, fun, I would be like, seriously? (laughs) Like, anything with Ben Stiller after, like, 2005. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, along came Polly, next. Yeah. (laughs) No, thank you. I am not having fun right now. (laughs) That, I think... 
what an important distinction, though, is like the difference between a way a movie is supposed to make you feel and a genre of film. Totally. Yeah. Especially now with streaming. I think streaming, their like mission when it comes to classification of movies is more like, how will this movie make a person feel at home versus uh-huh. like how we classify that movie when it comes to the cinema? Yeah. Like, yeah. this is an adventure movie or this is a a mystery or something like that because mystery can mean a lot of different things totally we can talk about like glass onion or knives out which are mystery films but not in the same way that this is a mystery right right so uh weird frightening yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) but then to rewind um way back the near sci-fi horror realism that we see in this movie i think is actually very scary yeah because it's basically contemporary life now. Everybody's vaping, casually doing cocaine because cocaine's back for some reason. Oh, good God. Advertising is very similar. Our living situations are similar. Our ability to program AI and, like, kids' access to, like, little computers and, like, little programmable, you know, code-based toys and stuff. Very realistic. But we also have, like, this tiny jump to, like, oh, we're putting implants in people's heads so that we can control them. And it's like, are we really that far away? I mean, are they doing that now? They might, is this they a might thing? Be? Yeah. <laughs> the, because this company, it seems like, is very secretive. And as far as we know, there aren't other companies that are also doing this. Right. As far as we know, this is like a either emerging technology or it's a very secret kind of like hush-hush under the covers because Voss's husband doesn't know what she does. He just knows that she travels a lot. And she's gone all the time. Also, Voss isn't aware of other people who are working undercover. Right. Because, like, Eddie. Is Eddie somebody else? Right. Or, right. like, does he exist as an implant in somebody else's brain? Or is he a real person? We, we have no idea. Yeah, we don't know we, at And all. we never find out. Yeah. Woof. also i do want to say how unsettling it is this near future like sci-fi realism there's a scene where voss as tate goes to work and tate works at this like terrible soulless mega corporation that does quote-unquote data mining which gag like yeah yeah (laughs) i understand that this is emerging technology and it's very important because my data is being mined yeah you know corporations know everything there is to know about me couldn't care less i really don't care yeah i don't want to know please let me live in blissful yeah yeah i love it when like every time like on facebook very specifically like people on twitter know what's up you know but Facebook, very specifically, people are like, did you know, and picture the Spongebob meme here, that Facebook is stealing it? Yes, duh, obviously. I am on Facebook. Uh, yeah, I know. They yeah. have all of my information. It is what it is, you know? I don't have the energy to go live off the grid. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't. I'm, if, I'm not cut up for that work. If you have a smartphone, you don't have an expectation of privacy. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know there are a lot of people out there that think that they can still fight for privacy. If you have a social media account, even one, if you have email. I love it when people post that stuff on Facebook. So I'm like, well, you're on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> posting about lack of privacy. Yeah. There's no setting on Facebook that will get that yeah. stuff to be turned off. I'm yeah. sorry. It's just not going to happen. It does not. Yeah. But... I love that 
there. So Voss is in an implant in Tate's brain who is, as a job, using AI to be in an office to teach AI how to work. Yeah. I was like, this is so trippy. Yeah. There's so many layers to that. Yeah. And also kind of in the same breath, the goggles that Tate is using uh-huh. to work. We were talking about this while we were watching. Oculus is already a thing. Like, yeah. This sort of virtual reality where you can use this is already a thing. But Cronenberg makes it look worse. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like worse than it is in a scarier way. I feel like this is a talent of the Cronenberg family is that even in David Cronenberg's films, and he tends to go more to the extreme, especially when it comes to organic and body horror and and like organic devices and things like Mm -hmm. that. But they both as filmmakers are able to take things that either do a task that already exists in this world or is an item that already exists in this world and make like a minor change to just make it scary as hell looking and just make you so uncomfortable when you're really like interacting with something that we have seen and experienced and we're all aware of and is around us already. Yeah, like in this particular instance, they're using what looks to be like old school... Like those goggles that they use in the Arctic to like protect your eyeballs from yeah. the intense amount of like white light that would be hitting them. It looks like that. And then they're also using like a little trackball like mouse. An old school trackball. Yeah. It's like we already have Oculus. Like we have Oculus gloves that yeah. like uh, they approximate tactile sensation. This is like so much worse. The light is literally like clamp lights that are clamped to a pipe that just like are focused up. So it makes everything look like kind of weird and orange and gross. But it's made to look like when you're wearing the goggles and using the little trackball that you're in this nice, beautiful office. Yeah. And you have like a little cup on your desk. And it's very disorienting. Yeah. But what I love about even that is even like the web interface or the the sort of virtual space interface that Uh, we see the characters experiencing is not what you would expect from a near future nefarious data mining company. Like it's a very static interface. Mm -hmm. The camera videos that they're using to spy on people are like regular old, like grainy webcam videos. They're sort of vertical iPhone, Mm -hmm. you know, framing that we're all used to. This is not high quality video when they're like lassoing things and zooming in on them, it's like straight up like trying to lasso something in Photoshop. It's not like you're looking at like an interface on Star Trek and Mm -hmm. you instantly read like, this is, you know, capital T, capital F, the future. You know, it's all very simplistic, which makes it almost like more nefarious. Yeah, because it's purposefully dumbed down. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, these people are not worth any sort of level of additional explanation or higher technology. Their only job is to like zoom in on (laughs) curtains and explain them, which can you tell me, can you think off the top of your head of a more... (laughs) boring thing to do yeah like describing curtains yeah it's got to be the worst possible thing it's so funny too because it points out the sort of feature of you know there's this really this really horrible thing that happens all the time and we hear it a lot around here about like you know 
unskilled labor, air quotes, mm-hmm. unskilled labor, which just makes me want to barf because all labor requires skills. They might be different than the skills you use in your work, but all labor requires skills. And we always attribute like unskilled labor to being either food preparation or like super basic factory work. And this is a air quotes tech job mm-hmm. and it is requires very little skill. Yeah. You put the glasses on, you click the thing. Yeah. And I just I love that dichotomy, you know, because I think that is sort of the future of, you know, this air quotes unskilled labor is it's going to be that stuff when really food prep requires a certain if you want to oh, do yeah. it safely. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Not only you're juggling food preparation, you're juggling customer service, yeah. you're juggling time management. Like, I can't tell you how many people I know that are in quote unquote skilled labor jobs or like middle class jobs that don't have any of those abilities. Right. Like they don't have good time management skills, they're not yeah. good at customer service, they're not good at interpersonal relationships, they're not good at managing their workload. They're bad at all of those things. Yeah. But yet they're making $125,000 a year. Yeah. We could go on and oh, on. Oh, I could, I, could, I could write a book about it. <laughs> Attack of the Final Girls does class politics. <laughs> Marxism, communism, socialism, and more. Yeah. <laughs> Organizing all of the things. Yes. <laughs> but I did also love that we see that in this future, there is no expectation of privacy. Yeah. Like, we have webcams literally watching people have sex, like, And the people, theoretically, these people maybe don't know that they're being watched at that moment, but... Or they they don't care. Yeah, or they don't care. And it's a parallel to what Voss is experiencing. She is having to go through some pretty intimate situations, and she also doesn't have an expectation of privacy. Yeah. There's a parallel there, too, that I just was thinking about between her in real life having sex with her husband and how tuned out she was... And her as Tate having sex with Ava and how into it she was. Yeah. Like, is she actually enjoying this? Is she performing? And we do see a little bit of, like, slippage between herself, her her actual brain, and Tate's brain at the same time. So I'm thinking, like, okay, so Gerder's actually watching this happen, which... Right. Weird. Awkward to have your boss, like, regularly probably have, you know, see you have sex with somebody else as somebody else. But on the other hand, what is the ethic of this? Like, is there something to be said about, like, should I be having sex with somebody else? Should I be encouraging this, like, dopamine, serotonin rush with somebody who I, as the person that I'm puppeteering, love or experience good feelings towards... Is there, is there something weird there? I mean, yes, there is. But to the question of ethics, I don't think ethics exist in this scenario because both of the parties engaged in the sexual act are puppets for this assassination. They're both going to end up dead. So they're, I think the ethics aren't even considered on the part of Voss or Gerder or anybody else because they're like, well, these two people are just helping us achieve our goal and they're both gonna die there's no lasting implications of like you know which which gets into a whole consent issue you know like oh my god i was not actually having sex with the person i thought i was having sex with like yeah that is a huge ethical consent issue but i think in the world of these characters it's just not even called into question because 
it's all part of the job, which is gross. It's so funny how we can, like, just dispense with these considerations because we're just, like, and I understand, like, they definitely think this. They're yeah, just like, well, yeah. they're going to be dead, so we don't need to worry about that right. stuff. We don't need to worry about X, Y, or Z. And the, and that's part of the job. It's always a thing with assassins. It's like, assassin's job is just to kill the target. Yeah, yeah. It's not to, like, worry about where the kid's going to go to school or, like, are they going to end up in foster care, that kind of stuff. Um, but it's, I just always think it's so funny, like, people will say things like, well, it's not going to matter because X, Y, Z. And it's like... Right. But in the interim, though, it kind of does matter. It does, you know? yeah. And I've I've certainly read um, other other science fiction stories, very specifically, where like body tourism uh-huh. is a thing, like implanting your consciousness into somebody else's body, or like almost like a Westworld scenario mm-hmm. of like you know these sort of world embodying role play kind of situations where it does matter, mm-hmm. you know, because the goal is not y'all end up dead. The goal is you're going to do this thing typically because you have power and privilege and money to be able to afford it. And you're going to use other people as pawns. Mm -hmm. And and what is the implication beyond that? So I think it is a valuable question. I just don't think the characters in this movie are considering that question at all. Yeah. And the interesting thing with the second part of, and this is something I was thinking about, like disposability. Yeah. Because as far as we know, Voss is not disposable. You know, she's a pretty big asset for this company. Yeah. Gerder mentions she's like the star performer. I don't know if that means that she's the only one. And so that's why she's the star performer. Or if she's the best of them, the one that they send on the most like crucial or like dangerous missions. Yeah, we don't get any of that information. But it is interesting to me that I can't remember Sean Bean's character's name. And I'm going to go back and look. But it's interesting to me the lengths that Girder is willing to go to save Voss includes some disposability of other yeah, characters. Absolutely. Um, Parse is Sean Bean's character's name. So Parse doesn't die. Right. He and Ava are the targets. And then Tate, eventually. The three of them at the end of this job are supposed to be dead. Parse doesn't die. Ava dies, which I think contributes to the crack in Tate's kind of mind and how he's able to take back over because even though he's a piece of shit, he ostensibly did love Ava and that creates this whole problem where there's no clean break and Voss isn't able to like jump out as fast as she needs to. And also she's been struggling, which that makes sense. But it like contributes to this break, but the people that Gerder is willing to sacrifice in order to be able to pull Voss back into her job include her estranged husband and her child. Right. And she sacrifices the two of them, even though they didn't complete the mission, I guess, or the assignment. They didn't completely do it. She's willing to sacrifice her son and, or Voss's son and her husband just to pull her back in. And I was like, man, this is like it's so twisted that it's okay to leave Parse alive and you know wounded and with brain damage, but let's go ahead and like kill two birds with one stone, basically kill her family and get them out of the way and suck her back in and also make it so now she doesn't have any ties and now she can be the new girder. Right. Ugh, so messed up. Well, and you wonder too. So like at the beginning, sort of after the first 
kill scene that we experience, we see Voss being brought out of that. You know, there's sort of a, a ritual with items and things like that. And Gerda's kind of telling her at the time, she's like, you know, I don't understand why you still have these attachments, mm-hmm. you know, outside of this work, blah, blah, blah. And Gerda obviously did this work before. So one would assume that she has shed all attachments. But, okay, at the end of the day, so you're making all this money, you're getting all this power, all these stock options. What do you do with that then? Right. Like, what is the end goal? Like, I guess you're powerful, but you can't tell anybody or show anybody that you're powerful. You can't share the you know, rewards of that power with anybody like, what do you, I I don't, and this is just like, my brain just doesn't work like that. It's, it's just like, well, then why would you want to make all this money by killing these people if you can't actually do anything with the money or the power? Like, what's the point? I think you just made a connection that kind of broke my brain a little bit because The first time that Voss experiences the weird, like, little styrofoam thing Uh is when she's doing the AI. And I think it's that realization that although, like, Tate's doing this thing that is, like, ostensibly beneath him, beneath everybody, it's just identifying curtains. It's not, like, a difficult job necessarily, but it's mind-numbing and dull and in a gross area. She's doing the exact same thing. She is literally being parroted by somebody else. And so there's like this break that's going on because she's like, holy crap, I'm making all of this money, but Gerder just wants me as a tool. And Tate is not making any money. And he also is being used as a tool by Ava's dad. There's definitely a parallel there of like the reason why her brain is kind of like unable to keep control is the realization that she is just the exact same thing. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter how cool the facility is, how much money she's getting. Um, the the only thing that she can hope to do is be Girder. Like, right. just step up that level. And then she is doing the exact same thing, except she's not in the body. Right. She's just another step up. And it's just like this constant, you know, churning. <laughs> it's like a capitalist, like, yeah dumpster fire (laughs) it really is she's just selling herself to to do this thing over and over again and and the only thing that she can hope to do is be girder yeah there is no out for her at this point i don't think that you can get out in a job like that no i mean we all we've all seen kill bill right exactly exactly (laughs) like you can't there i'm sure there's like tons of state secrets and stuff that she's got like embedded and there's no way that she can get rid of that yeah so yeah oof that's That's just a whole extra level there. Because I knew that there had to have been a greater meaning for those little, like, weird styrofoam, like, Uh thingies that she was seeing. That has to be it. She's, like, settling into that idea that she is being exploited. Yeah. She thinks she has the choice. She thinks she has the control. But really, she does not have any control. Right. She is merely being told what to do. And I think that also maybe is why she's showing such anger in her performance because it's supposed to be you shoot them you shoot yourself it's done yeah but she's like stabbing them and and it's bloody and and they're like why are you doing that and like people are talking about it to her through the grapevine like her physician that's kind of like helping her stay under 
is like mentions something offhand and she's like what the hell are you talking about and it's like yeah yeah it's getting around that you're yeah. doing it in this way yeah and in that case that's the one thing she has the choice over is how she kills the person right and what she does immediately afterwards yeah I do want to say that the transition scene of seeing Voss embody Tate was amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool melty sequences, which reminded me of like Harryhausen Mm -hmm. and some like cool 80s movies that either will have like the forward or reverse melting. I think they do it in Ghoulies where like the alien becomes the human. That's like the one that sticks out in my mind. I love that, and I wish that there was more of that, more of that, like, practical, frightening things. So I really love that. I thought that that transition scene was just impeccable. And it's, like, jarring, and you don't really understand what's happening. And it feels like if you were actually doing that, that's probably what it would look like. Yeah, definitely. In Behind your eyes, with your eyes closed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, practical effects throughout this film, all very well done. Yes, Yes, definitely not a um, not a situation where you're like, wow, that was really bad. Yeah. And there are a couple of visual effects, but mostly it's like there's not really any like CGI at all. No. Not that that is bad or good one way or the other, but it's all practical. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. And I really like that color is used in such a way like red, the primary colors, red, blue, and yellow, mm-hmm. are used... Um, it's meaningful. Like, blue is very meaningful. The red that we see is meaningful and how it's, like, triggering to Voss and also to Tate. Yellow, there are a lot of reflections or, like, seeing people through and in glass, which I really liked that, too. So, all in all, it's, like, very pretty. It's a very oh, yeah. visually stunning movie, which I was not expecting. Yeah. I thought it was going to be really bland, but it's not. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. What are we going to talk about next time? Next time, we are going to funny that we're talking about. We've talked a little bit about fathers and sons, and we talked about fathers and sons last time a little bit, too, with Joe Hill and his father, Stephen King. And we're actually going to do a Stephen King movie Oh crap! next time. And I think it's one that you haven't seen, and I've seen it many, many times. Misery? Oh, yeah. I have not seen that oh, one. Oh, I'm so excited for you to see this one. Oh, man. I have read the book. I have okay. not seen the movie. Kathy Bates, man. I man, Get I ready. really I really love Kathy Bates so much. Yeah. So I'm I'm very excited. So we'll take you back to 1990, a classic Stephen King film. Next time, join us. Yay. Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com. We are Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and TikTok and Final Girls Pod on Twitter. Our theme music is by House Ghost and is available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode and rate and review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Stay scary.